0: Do you want to do what we do, literally this, podcasting, editing audio on your own time, making fun little episodes about your favorite topics? Well, we can help you out. Sound Studio 4 is an app for Mac that lets you record
1: music, create sound effects, digitize old records and tapes, or even create your own podcast, like George said. Just don't make it about sound. We're kind of already doing that. And it's pretty okay. (laughs) <laughs> Sound Studio Four <laughs> is the latest version of their software. It's been around since 1999, and this current version has bells and whistles to help make whatever audio project you want. Find Sound Studio Four in the Mac App Store
0: or at felttip.com/ss. SS for Sound Studio. Yeah, I think that's obvious. Ignition sequence start. Five. Everything. Everything. Everything sounds sounds. This is everything sounds.
2: What's it sound like? It sounds like an out of tune. What's this guitar look like? It looks like a completely general vision of a guitar. Beautiful red, a sort of black fade around the side. Got a nice rosewood fretboard. It's got one pickup. Used to have two. A little bit later on, the bridge. Height was changed. Nice! (laughs) I'm Craig Shank.
0: I'm George Drake Jr. And this is Everything Sounds. On the
1: surface, this guitar that you heard might seem unremarkable in nearly every way. It's special though. Not because of what it is, but because of how it's been used.
0: In fact, it's traveled the world. But before we tell you where it's been,
2: We need to meet the guy who's responsible for its journey. My name's Nick Tudkovsky, and I'm here with the $100 Guitar Project, which my friend Chuck O'Mara and I began a couple of years ago.
1: Nick's currently got his hands in a few different musical
2: projects, including an eight-piece band called Dr. Nerve. So uh, Dr. Nerve is very active. More recently, uh, my metal band, Hesliche Luftmasken, has been making some... uh, Great strides. He's always been a guitar guy.
1: His mom actually picked up her guitar thanks to PBS's Folk Guitar with Laura
0: Weber series.
1: Hi, everybody. We're up to lesson number 26, and this is not the end of the program. It's the beginning. And we began with... After his mother played,
2: played for a band. year, Nick began to go through the Laura Weber songbook himself. Um, and then I got into my own stuff, you know, the bands
0: that I was into. Heavier music, composition, electronic and computer music, and plenty of other projects along the way. So I got my hands in a lot of different pies.
1: Nick grew up in the 60s when the guitar was huge in American music. Both acoustic and electric guitars were everywhere.
2: There was a visceral excitement that surrounded the electric guitar in particular.
1: They helped define the popular music of that era. That I just wanted to become a part of. He tries to instill that excitement in his current students, too. If I
2: teach someone how to play electric guitar you know a total beginner the very first thing I do is I turn the amp up you know turn up the gain show them how to bar an a chord and have them hit it and (laughs) if that doesn't send chills up your spine you know then you probably shouldn't be playing electric guitar but you can get a rush from electric guitar you know within 20 seconds if someone's showing you how to just go quonk. And that's sort of been my relationship to it. Luckily for Nick, he found somebody who shares his excitement
0: for the instrument. Around 1980, a friend of Nick's told him about a guy named Chuck
2: O'Mara. Who sort of confessed, like, whenever I get together with Chuck, I don't really know what to play. He's into all this out stuff, you know, but I think you might get along with him.
0: Nick rarely made cold calls, but he decided to reach out to Chuck. They talked on the phone for three hours and began improvising together on the weekends. It's like, wow, this guy is a soulmate. And after all these years, their friendship is still strong.
1: Obviously, a big part of their friendship is about music, but they also have a sense of humor that they share. They send a lot of emails back and forth, and they often have a humorous edge.
2: Stoke some kind of dark humor, you know? They often revolve around ridiculously expensive guitars. Um, like here's a, you know, here's a 1961 Gibson SG that you can have in your collection for only $55,000, you know, and here's a 59 Les Paul that's going for a mere 70 grand, you know?
1: Then Chuck sent an
2: email in October of 2010 that had a slightly cryptic subject line. But um, one day he sends me an email and the email subject is, here it is, the guitar of your dreams. I'm like, what, what could that be, you know? Because it was so ambiguous. It was, it, it was so sort of on the shade of like, is he kidding or what? And he had a picture attached, this little stamp-sized picture of this red generic no-name guitar. And, uh, and it, was, it just looked so cool.
0: The guitar didn't have a brand on it, and it cost exactly one hundred dollars. This was especially strange because it was being sold at a shop that was known for really high-end collectors'
2: instruments. It's like seeing, a, a, you know, a Dodge Dart in a Ferrari showroom or something like that. It's like, what is this thing doing here? You know, it's a really cool car, but it's you know not in the right, not in the right place.
0: Nick and Chuck were sending some emails back and forth. Joking around that they could split up the 100 bucks between friends so that they could afford the guitar. Then they said that everyone who chipped in could record a track with it. Then that actually kind of gained some traction as we were throwing these emails back and forth. The guitar started to seem less like a joke and more like an
2: opportunity. And I, at one point, I said, "You know what? Actually, I'm ready to pull the trigger on this. This would be really cool. You and I could buy this. We could pass it around to a couple friends. Who knows what could happen?" And that's when the thing blew up. They sent one
1: email to one of their friends about this guitar, and the idea of recording it got passed around until... before they even owned the guitar, he had around two dozen guitarists lined up to record with this no-name, $100 instrument.
2: It, it, it was like this flash mob of interest. It was scary.
1: Chuck bought the guitar the next day, but not before they thought the plan collapsed.
2: There was a little window of fear where he talked to two different salespeople and those two different guys didn't know that they were talking to the same customer and one told Chuck that the guitar had already been sold not knowing that he was telling Chuck that Chuck bought it. So it was actually an interesting psychological moment because we immediately tried to look for another guitar and no other guitar would really fit the bill. It's like they were either a little too cool or you could tell what it was or It just didn't have the same kind of blank, iconic... This thing is like an icon. It's like what you would draw if you dreamed of a guitar.
1: The confusion was cleared up pretty quickly, and they officially owned the $100 guitar.
2: 24 hours later, we had another 20, 25 people on board.
1: They started creating a schedule and contacting the people that were interested in recording with instructions on how to pass the guitar around. And that's how the $100 guitar project
0: was born. To keep the project manageable, they needed to implement a few guidelines. To record for the $100 guitar project, Nick and Chuck suggested that the songs be kept to a certain length. I said, you know, about four minutes, no more than five. But as more and more people were getting involved, they realized that four minutes was too long.
2: You know, keep your track down to two minutes and you'll be a hero if it's one minute. To make sure that everything could fit onto two CDs.
0: That was actually the entirety of disc one, track 17.
1: Also, they didn't allow cover songs unless they were in the public domain. That was to ensure the project contained mostly original compositions with this guitar, but also to avoid any potential copyright or royalty issues. In the end, they had just one cover on the two CD
0: set. Aside from that, the musicians were free to do as they pleased without
2: any other guidance or instruction. Never crossed my mind that I would have to guide anyone in terms of what they did. I knew that everyone was going to do honest, creative work. So um, really, absolutely no, zero mention of genre. Uh, I I wouldn't tell anyone what anyone else had done, so that I didn't want any player to think in a curate in a in a curatorial kind of way thinking like, well, you're probably getting a bunch of this kind of thing, so I'm going to do that kind of a thing. I didn't want anyone to be thinking about anything other than, here's the guitar, I've got it for a week, what am I going to do?
0: The guitar started making its way around the country, and eventually the world. It was mostly handed off in person, and was only shipped when it was necessary. It spent a lot of time in the continental U.S., in places like New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Michigan, Colorado, and California. But it also managed to make it to some places that required some extra effort to reach.
2: Well, it went to Hawaii, which I was very jealous about. (laughs) It got invited to a festival in Belgium. The guitar itself got booked for a festival. I didn't get to go, but the guitar went. Um, So the festival paid for it to get out there. Um, Quartet Zwerm did a sort of public action with it, and then while it was out there, they did their tracks with it. But once it was in Europe, um, it could then head out to a couple of other countries. So it went to Holland, it went to Germany.
1: Things got a little tricky in Europe. Apparently the guitar was in limbo while they figured out how to ship it back to the US. We'll spare you most of the headache and just say that it was cheaper to ship the guitar a half hour out of Belgium into Germany, and then from Germany to the U.S. It cost about one-fifth as much to do it that way than it would have to ship it directly from Belgium to the U.S.
2: It, it was crazy, the thing, you, you get this crash course in international shipping and, you know, customs intrigue, and you, like, you learn more than you ever wanted to learn about these arcane, you know, areas of, of cultural information.
0: Those kinds of issues were worth putting up with, based on the results they got with the $100 guitar project. The guitar was used by over 65 players in a two-year period, and the tracks that were recorded with the guitar are now available on a two-disc set. And the sales from the set go to CARE, an organization that fights global poverty. There were more
1: straight-ahead rock and blues songs, and also more experimental and avant-garde selections. One creative use was from Greg Anderson on a track called Bale Wagon Blues.
2: He had um, an electric violinist perform a solo on the piece, and he plugged the electric violin into an amp, into a guitar amp, and he placed the $100 guitar in front of the amp, and then he ran the output of the guitar into the recording console. So what you're hearing is the guitar picking up the sound of the amp amplifying the electric violin. And the sound is just amazing. It it is like the meanest, most vicious electric violin you've ever heard. It just sounds extremely idiosyncratic and very, very aggressive. It's a killer, killer tune.
0: The guitar was also used by a guy named Keith Rowe. Now, he's known for playing what's called prepared guitar, or tabletop guitar. Essentially, what he does is he lays a guitar on a flat surface, like a table, and then often uses different objects to create eerie and unusual sounds.
2: Most honored I am is to have Keith Rowe's signature on here. Keith came and played this guitar, he laid it down on my table, had a coffee, put a radio next to it, put some aluminum foil next to it, started making sounds with it. Got some great, great sounds out of this. Keith is sort of the the godfather of uh, tabletop electric guitar improvisation.
1: So far, they don't have plans for a volume two of the $100 Guitar Project, but people have suggested that they try it as a genre or region-specific effort.
2: Doing the $100 Guitar Project, the metal edition.
1: Or a $100 Guitar Project for Japan.
2: Send it to really, you know, very different, culturally very different parts of the world.
1: Now, Nick likes those ideas, but it's easier said than done.
2: Um, all that takes time and, you know, money and sponsorship and all that, and uh, those are things that are exciting, um, which, uh, you know, anything's possible, but nothing's strictly planned. The future of the $100 guitar is up in the air at the moment,
0: but there is one idea that Nick has been playing around with. So, uh,
2: I think my focus now is really going to be more the live element.
0: Think of it as a way for the
2: guitar to meet its admiring fans. Maybe do a series of the $100 Guitar Project in concert, where we have some of the players that participated in the record, and maybe even more importantly, some of the players who I had to say no to, um, due to time constraints, limits, um, have them come and do a short set, do sort of lightning round, you know, 10 players one evening, everyone gets 15 minutes set, just like keep it moving, keep it in the spirit of the guitar being passed off from one player to the other. The
1: appeal of this project isn't just musical. It seems to be emotional as well. People have relationships with their instruments. Even the best musicians in the world had to start somewhere. This project took an inexpensive, unbranded guitar and allowed musicians all over the world to create their own art with it.
2: It's, a, it's this story. It's the human story.
1: It's almost like actually experiencing that cliche rhetorical question. If you could go back and do it all over again, what would you do?
2: I think Mark Solomon really put it well when he described his relationship to the project. He said um, this reminded him of his first guitar. And you always remember, every guitarist is going to remember their first guitar. And I suspect, but I can't say for sure, but I, I, can, I suspect that everyone at some point in their experience with this guitar probably had a little bit of a flashback to their first guitar when they were you know, maybe a little bit younger or much younger and figuring out how this instrument works and feeling your calluses build up and feeling the frustration of certain chords and the successes of getting those chords and um, going through that experience of being a beginner again. You, you put this guitar in your lap, there's some part of your mind that goes back to that moment where you were a beginner and it's very tender and rich, it's a very beautiful, kind of moment. And uh, it certainly was true for Mark. It's true to a certain extent with me. I remember my Univox guitar when I look at this guitar. Um, but that, that is a very inspiring element.
0: We have links to the $100 guitar project at our website, everythingsounds.org, and there you can also find links to subscribe to us in iTunes or Stitcher. If you're using iTunes and have a spare minute, be sure to review the show. Every positive rating and review bumps us up in the iTunes rankings, and the more we move up, the more people will see the show in the rankings, and maybe will give us a try. Today's episode was sponsored by Sound Studio 4 from
1: Tip Inc., Sound Studio 4 for Mac lets you record audio, create podcasts, digitize tapes and records, and create sound effects for your own projects. Information on all of the features is at felttip.com slash ss, or in the Mac App Store. Again, that's Sound Studio 4 for Mac.
0: Everything Sounds is a part of the Mule Radio Syndicate, which you can find more information at muleradio.net. While you're there, you can hear other shows such as The Talk Show, SDMR, and the mixtape
1: we'll leave you with some words of wisdom from Nick I think it fits in pretty well with how we approach things too
2: you take the tools that you have and you make the music that you want now using those tools that is like that is the message right you don't wait you just do
0: it maybe we should have started a band instead of a radio show
2: maybe we did the world a
1: favor by not doing that
0: (laughs) okay okay fair enough fair enough Thanks for listening. I'm Craig Shank. And I'm George Drake Jr.